Presented by Trader Joe's. I'm Stuart Mandel, joined as always by Bruce Feldman. Bruce, we have a great guest this week, and it's new UConn coach Jim Mora. A lot of people were saw that you know that came out of nowhere. Well, really, Jim Mora is going to uh, to UConn. Um, we talked to him. He we we were on Skype. He had his UConn logo already, um, uh, donning it proudly. But first, a couple quick uh, items we wanted to get to. Okay. Last night was the latest ranking show. Boy, those ranking shows really tick you off, don't they? <laughs> it's not just me. It is me, but it's not just me. Um, I feel like every week, Gary Barta finds a way to just kind of poke everybody. And, you know, this week, like, the B, you know, the, the CFP needs PR help, I think. I think I would start with that, right? They... You don't think uh, paid consultant Ari Fleischer is doing well by them? No, that stooge is, is about as bad as it gets. I'm <laughs> sorry. They need real help. Um, like, I, by all accounts, Gary Bart is a, is a really s- smart guy and a decent guy. But I feel like, and he's in a kind of a thankless position, because as we've said before, if you're the CFP chairman, you really have to kind of be the explainer for what goes in the room, even if you don't necessarily agree with all those things. But when he starts out a sentence with these these five words, set aside watching the games, whatever you say beyond that, <laughs> you're digging out of a big hole. And to me, that kind of gets to the core of one of the fundamental frustrations with the CFP rankings. What happened on the field and what happens on the scoreboard, don't tell me about other stats. You know what stat I want to hear about? The one that's on the scoreboard that's on both sides of where the where the time remaining is. That's what matters. I don't care how many first downs a team had. I don't care how many total yards. You don't a team care about had. you're telling me you don't swear by relative scoring differential? That's no, you remember stats. game control? Yeah. Game control was annoying. There I was don't think uh, so. Uh, game control is an ESPN stat, but, but, um, like FPI? E- exactly. I think that <laughs> certain phrases live on, right? You know, the, the, the Stanford body clock comment, I believe that was Jeff Long, <laughs> you know, it still gets repeated to this day. And there's no doubt in my mind that this one will hover over the committee for years to come. He was answering a question from Reese Davis about, like, there was no drama uh, in the show. The top seven stayed exactly the same. So they went back to the Michigan-Michigan State head-to-head again. And I don't know if he was just frustrated of having to answer this again. Uh, It seemed like he really wanted to make this point. Set aside watching the game, so that's certainly a part of it. But statistically, in just about every category, offensively and defensively, Michigan comes out on top over Michigan State. Uh, as many people on Twitter said, except for one particular stat, which was the final score. Um, it's it's what's what's so bizarre about this whole situation. And, and you and I talked about it last week. They're going through a lot of like this seems like a weird hill to die on when you know, Michigan State's either going to beat Ohio State this week and, and jump them or lose to Ohio State and fall further behind. Right. It's going to be moot. So it'd be so much less controversial for them if they just kept the head to head for now. But what he said is is accurate. You know, the Michigan statistical profile and those advanced stats they use 
is much better than Michigan State's. But you know what's an even wider disparity? Ohio State over Oregon. He has made no attempt to explain, or maybe he's attempted, but he hasn't done a good job of explaining why it's so important to keep that Oregon-Ohio State head-to-head, but that it's irrelevant. So why do you think that is? Michigan State. Why do you think that is? I think... Well, there's one explanation he could give that would make more sense than what he's saying. He could come out and say, well, we watched that Oregon-Ohio State game. Oregon led from start to finish. It was on the road in Columbus. Um, We consider that a pretty definitive statement win. Whereas Michigan State was at home. They fell down by a large deficit. There were, frankly, some calls that, that could have gone the other way. And so, yes, they won the game, but we didn't think it was quite as indicative of the quality of the teams as Ohio State Oregon was. But he hasn't said that. Yeah. Uh, every week I watch that show and I'm like, I hate this show. <laughs> you know, I just hate that show. And the thing is, I like all the people on it. I just, it's like, I think it is set up to, you know, I don't watch like the mornings first take shows or anything, you know, even the ones that are on, you know, the company I work for. I'm not watching that. I do not want to like... I don't know why somebody watches something like that just to get annoyed, especially if you're a fan of those schools, right? Like the people, like, I don't know. And again, look, as we said, most of this stuff, maybe not Cincinnati related, but most of this stuff, at least in the Big Ten, is going to sort itself out. That's right. So, I don't know. Um, Matt Campbell, Iowa State coach. By the way, before we get to Matt Campbell, yeah. am I am I wrong to be annoyed by this show? Everybody's annoyed by that show, but I know why they do it. It, you all watch it, right? People are annoyed by it, but they hate watch it. And so, I mean, for ESPN, it's great. It creates interest. Uh, they, they, you know, you can't then, we'll get to Saturday and you won't, you could be watching, uh, I don't know, Arkansas State Troy game and they'll be talking about the college football playoff rankings. There was that, that Cincinnati game last weekend was three and a half hours against USF. Three and a half hours of every play. Well, was that enough style points? Do you think they did enough style points there? Um, it's, it's, I know why ESPN does it. I'm not entirely sure why the CFP subjects their chairman to that every week. They, when, you know, the, the basketball committee, they do, well, for the longest time, they didn't do any, uh, any sort of check-in. Now they do like a top 16, uh, with a month to go. And then that's it until you get the bracket. Okay. So let's get to Matt Campbell made a little bit of news uh, this morning as we're taping this on Wednesday. I think it came out this morning, but maybe it was yesterday. So why don't you tell me what you thought of a clip when he has asked about expectations and the perceived goal of winning the Big 12? Somebody asked him, uh, you know, to talk about basically, you know, the person basically said, I know it was the goal of you and your players to win the Big 12 championship. And that's now out of the picture. And he interrupted him and said, it wasn't my goal. Uh, maybe it was the player's goal. My, my goal was not to win. You never hear me specifically say that my goal is to win the Big 12 championship. My goal is to um, that this team become the best version of itself. And I saw a lot of people saying uh, the name Butch Jones came up a lot. Like this sounds like something Butch Jones would have said. Uh, you know, with the the champions of life comment, um, you know, Matt Campbell has been some one of the uh, the darlings of the coaching carousel world, and and I'm to be I'm not saying like one quote changes that, but uh, it was a weird one. That was definitely a weird one because 
your fans definitely wanted to win a Big 12 championship. Yeah, I think the the challenge in that, and I don't know where the messaging goes to as a lot of times coaches, and we see this certainly with Nick Saban, sometimes the things he said in a podium are really echoing the messages he wants in the locker room. In the case of this, you're going to play at Oklahoma. You were already 6-4. and four. If your perceived goal, which is an, seemingly an obvious goal to win the Big 12 title, after, especially after last year, having the best season ever and you finish number nine, you would think, okay, is he just saying, look, let's stay, I want my players to stay in the process. I don't want to hear about how this was a lost season because we we can't win the Big 12 title and now we have a huge game in front of us. Maybe this is, I I think so much, look, nobody talks about the process more than Nick Saban and obviously nobody has utilized that blueprint any more, any better than he has. I think this was another way of, saying it but the truth is and it, look a lot of the butch jones stuff came back to bite him when the pro when the program was slipping away and when he was struggling at, at his, it wasn't when he was you know in the first part of his tenure there but it was really at the end and i'm not saying this is like matt campbell at the end i'm just saying it's like these things land differently when you're when when you're not on top or not after a couple of big wins and i think that's where this thing is getting more oxygen yeah, I mean, look, I don't, I didn't, I couldn't tell you what he might have said in preseason press conferences, but if somebody had asked at the, you know, preseason media day, hey, is your goal to win the Big 12 championship? And he had said, well, my goal with every year and every season is for the team to be the best version of itself. And if that means they end up in the championship, great. Nobody would have had an eye at that. It's when you're coming off of a really disappointing loss and, 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 have reached the point where this is officially a disappointing season, even even by Iowa State standards historically. So um, I don't know. Well, maybe he won't be there much longer, and they won't they won't be able to uh, hold that against yes, him. Yes, I would. Uh, um, on his name, he is definitely somebody who Washington has interest in. I am told as we have a story up on that. You go. on the athletic this morning. I think that would be a good fit. I think that actually. I mean, look at the guy that just had great success there, Chris Peterson. I feel like those they two have similar have wiring. Similar yes, approaches. they do. Um, yeah. let, let's let me ask you this: is so the two names I heard that they are they're very interested in, Dave Aranda and Matt Campbell, both guys in in the Big Twelve. If you're them, who would you prefer? Now they have different level of bias, well, but. I feel like you can't say that in a vacuum because what if USC wants those same two guys? No, I'm saying if you're Washington, who would you want? Of those two, I would want Matt Campbell just because he has a longer track record now. You know, I mean, I get why people are excited about Dave Aranda. I do, but this is his second season as a head coach, and the first one wasn't good. So it's a little bit for a program. uh, It's there's a little bit of like kind of Tom Herman risk there of you're judging it off a very small sample size. You know, this season notwithstanding, Matt Campbell has had a very successful tenure at Iowa State transforming that program, I would feel very confident hiring him if I'm Washington that he's going to turn us into, uh, uh, you know, turn us into a Pac-12 championship contender. Yeah. Just if you were him, though, I would say at the introductory press conference, my goal is to lead Washington to a Pac-12 championship. Fair enough. Um, I think just one one thought on that. Uh, I agree with what you're saying. Aside from basically Apu Ika, the big nose tackle that started out at LSU, Basically, Dave is most of those starters are from the holdovers from the Pat Rule, Pat Rule, Matt Rule era. 
Um, and now he is originally from the West Coast, but it's not like he was coaching in the Pac-12 a lot. I mean, he's from Los Angeles. So I don't know. I think those are both good options for for Washington if it comes down to that. I think the better question is if USC and Washington both went after Matt Campbell, which one would Matt Campbell prefer? I think Matt Campbell might be more inclined to go to Washington. Right. I think Dave Aranda might be more inclined to go to USC, but we'll see. Well, to me, Washington's not an obvious, necessarily obvious jump from Baylor. I mean, Baylor, and this came up in my mailbag today that went up today, Baylor has now... If he, well, you know, he's he's within, you know, uh, reach now of a 10-win season uh, or of a New Year's Six Bowl. And and ba- if that happens, Baylor has done that four times since 2013 with three different coaches. That's a, it's a good job now. Um, it wasn't 15 years ago, but I it think, is now. I, I, you know what's not a good job? So let me, let me finish one thing like you started. So, um, I had wrote this in this Washington search story about how it's one of the top jobs on the West Coast and it's a top three job. And I was surprised at, I didn't read every comment, I didn't read many of them, but like a lot of people pushed back on that. And I was like, no, it'd be like USC and some combination of Washington and Oregon. And I don't know where anybody else would say, oh yeah, that's a better job than that. I'm sure some, you know, I, I did BYU radio just like you do a lot of in Utah. And I'm sure there's a lot of people there who felt like, well, hey, BYU's had a ton of success over the years. But I don't see who the other school is that would be among the top three that wouldn't be Washington. Well, who were they? So who were they suggesting? Because to me, USC and Oregon are the clear top two. And then Washington's the clear three. So who are they saying? You're saying I don't know. Like, I don't know where people are like, taking issue with like Washington's um, spot in the top three. Well, I would say this: if you were you and I are old enough to remember Washington winning a, or splitting a national championship, right? Uh, if you're say 27, most of your memories of Washington are not of them being all that great save for a couple seasons under chris peterson if you're 27 so though you what do you, you where that's you, coming from you probably remember cal being really good but short of that i mean what's the other pac-12 school that you you think is really good it's just oregon and usc stanford i, I don't know i mean maybe no one's gonna put arizona state no, not maybe not arizona state. ucla stanford i don't know i mean those it's true over the last I mean, Stanford's gone in the tank here recently, but over the decade as a whole, Stanford was more successful than Washington. But as a, every, you know, there are some very unique challenges to the Stanford job that you wouldn't necessarily have at Washington. The other thing I'd say about Washington is um, there have been a lot of really good recruits coming out of that state recently. They just haven't been able to get them. If you are a good recruiter and you can land uh, that receiver that just went to Ohio State, um, and some of the other kids have come out of there, um, you're going to be, be doing pretty well for yourself. You want to segue, Stu? I know you do. I've, I've had so many segues <laughs> in mind. Our guest did coach in the Pac-12 championship game um, and has been out of coaching for four years now and has now resurfaced as the head coach at UConn and is already there, uh, is already on the staff, was at the Clemson game, which is very unique. We asked about that and a lot of other things. I think you're going to find it really interesting. Let's go to our guest. 
As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. All right, Stu, we are pleased to be joined by our guest, the new UConn head coach, Jim Mora. Coach, thanks for joining us today on The Audible. Thanks for having me. I'm, uh, I'm honored to be a part of this. All right. So we're glad to have you. Uh, you were kind of a neighbor of mine here in the South Bay and in, in sunny Southern California. Pretty glorious place to live. Uh <laughs> What has it been like for you? You've lived in a lot of really cool places. I'm not saying I lived in Connecticut for a while when I was at ESPN, but what has this transition been like and why UConn for you at this stage of your career? (laughs) All right, Bruce, you're right. I've moved around a lot. And most recently I was living in Sun Valley, Idaho. And uh, so coming to an area that, you know, has some seasons is appealing to me. I'm not afraid of the cold. I love the cold. Grew up in you know, Boulder, Colorado and Seattle, Washington. So I can handle that. The reason this was appealing was number one, um, I have a burning desire to coach again. You know, I'm, I'm passionate about coaching football. And uh, in my six years at UCLA, I learned that my, the best fit for me and my personality was college football. And uh, so when the UConn job, well, I'd spent the last three years, you know, being more of a dad than anything. My youngest son was in high school. You know, my kids have made a million sacrifices for me. And he had kind of asked me, hey, dad, if you could, you know, maybe hold off from coaching until I go to college, that would be great so that we don't have to move or I don't have to move or you don't have to leave me. Uh, you know, I'm like, hey, yeah, I, I really won't pursue much. Um, there's a couple of things that were interesting, but I really just didn't have that get up and go to really go after it. But when all four of my kids then were in college or out of college, the, the, you know, the runway was clear and they all felt like this was something that I loved to do and they supported me. The UConn job came open. I've spent a ton of time back here because I was working for ESPN. So I've been in Bristol and Hartford a number of times. I've been on the UConn campus. I've seen their amazing. I mean, 
These are really nice facilities here, really nice facility, not only football, but basketball and baseball and track. And we're building a new hockey complex and the, the soccer. It's just everything's top notch. So I expressed some interest and uh, I got interest back. So I started to communicate with uh, David Benedict, who is the athletic director here, who does a great job. We had some Zoom calls uh, as we talked more and more. I got more and more excited. Apparently he did as well. You know, we were kind of feeling each other out. Um, I went to Italy on a planned vacation uh, with my fiance. And uh, as I was in Italy, uh, I was talking to David a little bit. And he said, listen, I want to come up to Utah and I want to get together. And uh, so when I got home from Italy, he was uh, waiting in, in Sun Valley for me on a Sunday night a little over like 10 days ago. And uh, we spent Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday together, almost nonstop. And he hired, offered me the job, I think on Wednesday, I accepted it. We were together Thursday, flew out to Clemson on Friday and, you know, we're rolling now. So Jim, let me ask you that part of it. So what goes on with an AD in Sun Valley, Idaho, where you are, like, are you on the, you can't be on the board with him for three days. So like, what kind of stuff are you guys talking about for all that time beyond just getting to know each other? Well, we're getting to know each other more than anything. Like you just said, um, we were talking philosophy. We were talking staff. We were talking culture. We were talking uh, recruiting. Uh, we were talking about, you know, our philosophies on program building. We were talking about the challenges here at UConn. We were talking about uh, you know, my history, um, the good things and the bad things and how I've learned from them. Um, the thing that was most impressive to me was, was David. You know, I, I can tell you that after a few hours, I was very convinced that this is someone I could work for. And uh, then he put me on the phone with the governor, with former players, with business leaders, with people in our community, with some of our top uh, football supporters and campus supporters and to a T, they all said the same thing as, you know, this has been a basketball school, but we want to support the football program and we're not giving up on it. And we are here for you. And their messages were maybe said in different words, but the message was always clear. And it was, if I come here, I'd have a chance to, to do something special. And so every day I got a little more excited. I went down to Clemson, I was uh, in the press box for two and a half quarters and I couldn't help myself and went down on the field. I'm glad I did because we were struggling in that game from a score standpoint, but I got a chance to see how these guys were fighting for each other, for their school, for their team. Their attitude was great. Uh, I got a chance to get up close to them, meet some guys, see the physicalness of our team. And uh, every day I get a little more excited, Bruce. I, so Jim, I wanted to, you mentioned obviously going to Clemson, I think, this is unique in that you got hired before the season is over and you are already a, an assistant, right? You're, yeah. you're considered part of the staff. Correct. So how are you taking advantage of that in terms of how, just, just to talk to, to us about how that works. There's a head coach now, <laughs> yeah. but you are also the head coach of UConn and you will be the head coach of UConn. How does that all work? Well, Stuart, it's, it's actually been great because Lou Spanos, who's the interim head coach, was the defensive coordinator at UCLA, hired him to UCLA when I went there. And so we have a great relationship. We've had a great relationship for 25 or 30 years. So what I'm trying to do is stay out of the way of these, these men that are, you know, uh, trying to finish this season on a positive note. 
uh, and yet I'm, I'm around the players a little bit because I want them to know me and I want to get to know them. I'm deserving everything that's going on in football and football operations. But what this, this has given me the opportunity to do with being on staff now as assistant coach is I can recruit. So I can connect with the commits that we have. Uh, I can start to delve into the transfer portal. I've made communi- uh, contact with the, you know, almost all the high school coaches up here. I can go out on the road now. Uh, so I'm a full-time recruiter. And it's also given us a chance because we have some, some runway here uh, to be very deliberate and patient with hiring a staff. And I'm not going to go right now and go disrupt someone else's staff, but we can do some background work so that when the time comes, which is, you know, in the next couple of weeks, we're ready to hire a staff quickly and hit the ground running. So it's been, I think, a real positive. Now, you know, I I hesitate to say that because I don't want athletic directors to hear it and say, well, shoot, I'm just going to fire my coach, you know, mid-season so I can get this buildup for the next year because I hate to see coaches fired. But I can tell you that in my case, it's been a very, very positive experience. Jimmy, you mentioned obviously your connection to Lou Spanos, also Noel Mazzoni, your former offensive coordinator. He has been there as an analyst. So you had unique intel into what that program had, its challenges, all sorts of things that probably a lot of guys who are involved in a hiring process usually don't get that kind of detail. So I... So I would think on that regard, they would have either said, you don't want any part of this or or whatnot. Obviously, it's a really tough job. It's in an area where, unlike on the basketball side, it's not like there's a ton of college football players around there. And there's you do have a decent amount of competition for it. Boston College to get a New Jersey now. Rutgers with Shiano's making it tougher. You obviously have Notre Dame and Ohio State come in there. So I'm curious if the transfer portal was not as it is now, because obviously you have a big name, you coached in the NFL, you've had a lot of success with big time players. If the transfer portal wasn't what it is now, do you think you still would have said, I can win here given kind of the landscape of how UConn football is from a recruiting standpoint? I think it would have been a bigger challenge, but I think you know me well enough, well, both of you guys do to know that, You know, I'm not going to shy away from anything. I'm never going to say, well, I can't win there. You know, I'm always going to say, yeah, I can win there. But to be realistic about it, it would have been tougher. Uh, And I guess to win, it win at what level? For me, you know, in my 31 years in coaching football, whether it's in the pros or college, every single year there's been one single objective, and that's to win the championship. So I've always been involved in team with teams and in situations where that had to be the objective. This is a little bit more of a a process. And I know everyone uses this word process, but we are going to have to find ways to measure success uh, other than looking up at the scoreboard. And so that's every day. Are we getting better? You know, are we playing with discipline, toughness, great effort? Are we fundamentally sound? Um, Do we understand our techniques or are we making mental errors? Uh, we can do that. We can get better, I think, pretty quickly. You know, there's a good base of talent here. There's certainly a need for an infusion. But, you know, Bruce, as you alluded to, the transfer portal gives you a chance, I think, especially in your first year where there's going to be change. And so everyone on the team knows there's going to be a little bit of discomfort. Uh, you can bring some guys in that can really impact your team. 
as you get into your program, you know, year two, year three, year four, you have to be a little bit more careful with the portal because I don't want a team of mercenaries. You know, I want to build this thing. I think if you take the NFL model, the NFL model is built through the draft supplement with free agency and you apply it in, in certain ways to college football. You build through recruiting, you supplement through the transfer portal. As long as those transfer portals, you know, meet uh, your standards in terms of off the field character, on the field character, selflessness, team. You know, I, I don't want mercenaries. I want guys that are good people in this program. Otherwise, it's uh, it all falls apart fast. But I think that first year, you have a chance to make a tremendous difference quickly if you hit that portal hard. What have you learned about? Um, well, first of all, you know, you, you did the, the the time you spent at ESPN. You know. Co- a lot of coaches have not a lot, but there have been coaches who've done TV then come back into coaching and they've said they learned a lot just being able to watch. You don't have a chance when you're a coach to watch other teams and other parts of the country. Um, what are some of the, maybe the takeaways you had uh, from that, having that vantage point to follow college football? Well, you're right. I got to watch a ton of football. I'd sit there, you know, every college football Saturday uh, or Friday and now Thursdays and heck now Tuesdays. <laughs> Wednesdays, but particular to Saturdays, I'd sit there with 12 monitors in front of me all day long and, and watch football, watch players, watch schemes, watch coaches, watch decision-making, get a feel for trends, uh, realize that there's really good football players all over this country. There's good young coaches you never heard about that are making an impact, that are changing the dynamics of the game constantly, and that if you're open-minded – uh, there's a lot of there's a lot of resources out there that can help you succeed and you know move outside of your comfort zone and uh, you know when you're a head coach and you're ingrained in your program I think sometimes you get a little bit isolated so moving out of that environment for the last several years is, has made me less isolated and and more open to change and I think that's a real positive and it's also given me a time to reflect on the things that I think I did well in the areas I need to improve and the things that I need to learn. And, uh, you know, I've had time to do that and I've done that. And so kind of walk into this job with a, you know, the same passion, the same intensity, the same standards that I've always had. But I would say this, um, more deliberate, more patient, but still with the same sense of urgency. And so I have, I, right now it feels good. Now I start losing some games, <laughs> you know, me, I mean, you know, <laughs> but hopefully that doesn't happen too much. Jim, I wanted to ask you in the context of this, of your time out and looking for the next job to get back in, because I getting to know you some, since you were at UCLA, um, one, one term that I feel like comes up sometimes is an enigma a little bit, because on one hand, uh, a lot of people may know this name in football, Brandon Huffman. He's a rec- recruiting reporter. And I know from talking to Brandon, before I even got to know you, you really went to bat and did some remarkable selfless work to help him raise money for uh, his late daughter's uh, cancer yeah. uh, cause. And it was like in a huge way. And I know that from, from uh, Brandon. And then I did a story on you where it was talking about the, literally you're climbing mountains when you went to climb Kilimanjaro and raise a ton of money and to get uh, water wells there with Chris Long's organization. 
And I, so this is, this is kind of getting into the enigma part of it though. So I remembered it's an, it was amazing stuff. And I remember we talked about it for the story and then we were going to have you guys on Fox was going to have you guys, I think the opening game against AM. And I just remember our producer was like, yeah, we can't pin Jim down on this a little bit. I was just like, okay. And I, I felt like always there was like, I don't even know how to put it. It was like, sometimes it was like you did the heavy lifting, but sometimes, you you know, it was like on the PR side of it, it could be a little bit challenging to, to like, it seemingly that would have seemed like the easy side, like the cake was already made. All you had to do was sit down and eat it. Um, from the time you were out, I'm curious, cause you, I'm sure you heard some of the perceptions of what people thought of you, um, as you were looking for your next jobs. I mean, is that something that you had more awareness of, or how did that, I guess, how did that sit yeah. with you knowing, I mean, you come into UCLA, you beat USC, the art travel three times in a row, right out of the gate. Uh, you probably could have been the head coach at Texas at some point. And then all of a sudden when you're out, it's like some of these jobs were like, you know, you wouldn't think Jim Mora would have had any interest in that. And you're like, why would that place not even pursue him? And I was just fascinated by how you, how you took all that in. Well, it was tough having the success that we had uh, to not have more opportunities early. Uh, but I don't regret the fact that I got to spend a lot of time with my kids either. But yeah, I mean, I'm not going to lie to you. I mean, it, it stuck with me. You know, I've always been really good with the media and I've always, when I've done production meetings, felt like that was an opportunity to, to help the men that the women that were doing our games, you know, tell our story. I wanted them to be educated. Uh, but sometimes I was a little elusive because there were so many other things going on. The philanthropic work has always been, you know, part of who I am. I think that's ingrained in me, you know, from my mom and my dad. And, uh, and I guess I never looked at that as heavy, as heavy lifting. I looked at that as serving others. And, uh, you know, I climbed a couple mountains for money, climbed Rainier and raised half a million dollars for United Way, climbed Kilimanjaro. I have a, water well that we were able to sink in um, Eastern Africa in the name of uh, Nick Pasquale. Remember Nick? That got yeah, the, the old UCLA uh, player. Yeah. So there's, a, there's a small village out in the Serengeti, and there's a water well that's serving thousands of people, and it has Nick Pasquale's name on it. And, and Pat Patterson, who is my, my, my good friend, Mark Patterson's dad, we did it together, and we dedicated it to those two guys. Um, and then, of course, the stuff with Brand. I mean, those are things that touch your heart. Uh, I think at times, Bruce, I was, and I said this, I was impatient and uh, 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 edgy. And I think now you have to sit out, you become humbled, become more patient. I think I've lost the edge, at least right now I do. Um, and those are just lessons you learn, you know, about yourself. When you're not getting hired, you're not getting interviews, you go, well, wait a minute, what, what's going on here? You know, I don't think it's them. It must be me. So, you know, if this opportunity hadn't come along, I don't think there's any doubt I wouldn't have ever gotten another chance, you know, because it would have been four years and then five years out, and you're not going to get another job unless you're Mac, Mac Brown, who's, you know, one of the greatest of all time. So I'd have probably gone back to the NFL have had some opportunities to go back to the NFL. I'd have probably gone back there and done something, obviously not as a head coach, but I'm just grateful for this chance. I'm going to take advantage of it. I'm going to learn from the mistakes I made. Um, I'm going to be more patient. I'm going to be 
you know, I was brought to UCLA to be a disruptor, quite frankly. You know, I mean, I, when Dan and I had a conversation, he said, what do you think about UCLA? In the interview, I was like, do I tell him what I really think? Or do I tell him what I think he wants to hear? And those were two things that were different. And I finally said, and this is 2011, I said, I think you're soft. I think you're soft. I think if a team just, you know, keeps knocking you back, kids are going to quit. And he goes, that's what I wanted to hear. And I'm like, okay, I guess I got it right. It is what he wanted to hear, and it is the truth. And, you know, I had to go in there, and we had to, we had to disrupt some things. You know, it was a place that was a little bit uh, – um, there's some – I won't call it nepotism, but there was, uh, you know, hey, this is how we've always done it. And I was coming from the NFL, and I didn't understand the college climate. I didn't understand that there was, there was protocols and processes you had to go through. In the NFL, if you needed something, you went to the owner, and you got it. In college, you're dealing with, you know, you're dealing with the campus, you're dealing with the state, uh, and things don't just happen as easy. And sometimes that was difficult for me. So I would at times be more edgy than I needed to be. And I think that's probably what you're getting to, right, with being able to go out and, and do these things in the community and serve others. And yet, you know, dealing sometimes with someone like you being a little bit of a, if I don't mind if you don't mind me saying it, being a little bit of an asshole sometimes. That was directed so, at Bruce, right? It, yeah, not <laughs> at you, sir. Just, yeah. Fair enough. Okay. Um, have you ever been called? Bruce, has, has anybody ever said, said that to you during when you're interviewing them? Only used to. But, okay. But, but, <laughs> but, but Jim, since you brought it up, so not the asshole part, but the, um, the, the UCLA <laughs> side and the bureaucracy, I, I don't know how much you've talked to, to Rick Neuheisel about UCLA stuff, but you, Rick has had some, some really um, profound things he has said about some of the headaches that can be at, at a certain program. On one hand, you were in the middle of Los Angeles. So you have a tremendous amount of talent around you. You have a great academic school to sell. You have a, a good amount of talent around okay. you. Fair. Okay. Um, you have, you have a good amount of talent around you. I, I would not say it's tremendous. I would say you have a good amount of skill, a tremendous amount of skill players around you, but I wouldn't say it was tremendous. You're talking about kind of more the, the lines of scrimmage. Uh, players, yeah. I right? think the West coast has struggled a little bit up front. Yeah. With some big guys, that. you know, but I mean, it, there's no doubt like what Bruce said, it's a, it's a, there's a fertile recruiting ground there. Yeah. So I didn't mean to interrupt you, but yeah. I guess I did because I did interrupt you. No, all good. So, so, but some of the stuff Rick would talk about was some of the headaches that happen that may not happen at like SEC programs where people are kind of either getting in the way or they're, they're less likely to say yes. They're more likely to say you, we can't do it here. What were the biggest headaches you have at that place that were, that are just real kind of challenges, maybe unique to that, that program? I think every program has its challenges and it has its opportunities. Um, you know, UCLA is a tremendous academic institution. I mean, it's one of the, one of the finer academic institutions in the world. And uh, so, you know, getting kids marginal high school students into school there was difficult. Um, and then when they were there, you know, the curriculum was, tough i mean it was a it was demanding demanding curriculum and uh we didn't have a whole lot of majors where kids that were still progressing academically could go and find success so it was very very challenging for our student athletes um i think 
Josh Rebholtz and Dan Guerrero did a great job in development and raising money, but it was not always easy to raise money there. You know, I know it was a real challenge for them and, you know, they'd ask me to do things and I'd do it obviously because I, I liked it and it was my job, but I know it, it was challenging for them. Um, you know, the, the Rose Bowl, as wonderful a place as it is, was off campus and it would, could be an hour and a half drive to get there. And that was hard for our students. So, you know, you're asking your students to come out and support you and support the guys that they sit in class with. And yet it's a real truck for them to get there. Um, you know, those were being in L.A. is is wonderful. But when you bring some southern su kids from the south into into L.A., their parents don't always feel comfortable with them going to school there because they want them in more of a homey environment where they feel a little bit safer. So those were challenges. But I'll tell you this, everybody was always on board with what we were trying to get done. You know, I mean, we looked for ways. Everybody looked for ways to get better. Josh and Dan always looked for ways to engage our, our donors and boosters and supporters and, and raise money. And, you know, we find, tried to find better ways to structure home visits. We weren't making a ton of visits out to the Rose Bowl in the middle of a day when there was traffic. Um, our people in academics did a great job of trying to help us there as much as they could. Um, but you know, I'll tell you this, guys. Um, I loved being at UCLA. Yeah, it was tough. There were challenges. You had USC right across the town. You had Stanford up the road where, you know, they were an academic institution you're competing against. Um, but I'll tell you this. I, you know, I, I loved being the head football coach there. I was devastated when I was fired. I don't think I deserved to get fired. I know we had one bad year. We went to five bowls in six years. Uh, we won over 60% of our games. Um, and, you know, they've, they've struggled a little bit since. So, uh, but it is what it is. And it led me to this place right here. And I couldn't be more excited about that. Well, yeah. So bring it back to UConn here before we, we close. I mean, Based on what you just said about, you know, obviously you feel like um, that shouldn't have happened, that, that, that they sh shouldn't have let you go at UCLA. And then you said earlier that, um, you know, it was it was disappointing that there wasn't more interest uh, from other schools. So you mentioned how you had this burning desire to coach, but also how much do you want to prove people wrong? And because and this if you have success at, at UConn, um, frankly, people are probably going to be more impressed by that than winning 10 games at UCLA. I don't want to prove anyone wrong. I want to prove myself right. That that's, that's how I really honestly feel like I don't look back. Like I have no, well, I mean, we all have regrets, but I, I'm not going to look back and go, what, it, what, what could have been, what should have been, what might've been. Uh, I'm just looking forward. So it's not about proving anyone wrong, Stuart. It's about proving maybe to myself more than anything that, that I am a really good football coach. I mean, if you look at my record, I'll put my record up against most people, not everyone's. I mean, there's guys that have done better. But in the NFL, first year at Atlanta, went to the NFC Championship game. First year in, in uh, UCLA, went to the Pac-12 Championship game. You know, had back-to-back 10-win -back seasons, which has only been done, I think, twice before in the 100-year history of UCLA football. So we've had some success. And there's been failures along the way as well. But you try to learn from from both and apply them going forward. So. I just want to prove myself right, that I'm capable and I'm good, that I know what I'm doing, that I can, you know, have an impact on these young men. 
um, help them have positive and, and, uh, successful lives moving forward. And, uh, that's what I'm focused on. I'm blessed to be here. I'm excited to be here. I'm beyond. I think it's a perfect place for me to be. And, uh, hopefully all those lessons I've learned, I'm able to apply and we're able to have some success. Hey, Jim, fair to say that uh, you have found a new mountain to climb and you like the challenges, obviously. Yeah, this is a this is another one. But you know what, Bruce, I'll tell you this. In those four years off, I had to find ways to challenge myself and compete. And I was always competing with myself and I was always going uphill. I love to go uphill my entire life. You know, I I run the stairs before games. I climb mountains. My life's about going uphill. And Jim Fanks, the great Jim Fanks, who's deceased now and is in the Pro Football Hall of Fame, was the general manager and president of the New Orleans Saints when I was there and hired my dad. He used to say, there's was a saying he had, and I have it in my wallet, and he'd say, does the, does the road wind uphill? And the answer was yes, to the very end. It's always an uphill journey. You know, you never got it. And I think I kind of relish that attitude. So I'm just going uphill still, just in a different way, and I love it. It just what freaking fills me up. That's a great way to close. Jim, we appreciate your time. Hopefully we will see you down the road. Hopefully, yeah. uh, hopefully uh, it's going to be on TV, but not in, the, you know, I work with your guy, Acho now, by the way. Um, yeah, I know. He's awesome. Isn't he a great guy? He is. He's brilliant. Um, I don't he, know if you're going to take credit brilliant. for him. Yeah, he is brilliant. He could do, he's one of the few people you meet who could do anything and be wildly successful. So yeah. he, uh, He's a special guy. I could tell the minute I sat down with him at ESPN. And uh, I think during the, you know, those turbulent times in our country that he was a voice that, that stood out. And obviously mm-hmm. Oprah rec- recognized it in his book and the things that he was doing, the uncomfortable conversations with a black man. You know, I think he had an effect on people. And as much as I respect him as a football analyst, I respect him more as a man and somebody that has that, you know, that foresight to get out in front of things. He's awesome. Hey, Jim, one other question is, I, I sorry to do this, but since we mentioned it, maybe things have changed in the four years out, at least from uh, topics and stuff you, you could talk about. You've been not shy about, spe- you know, speaking up on some important causes on social media. Do you think you would be more inclined to, to get into some of those discussions? I'm not saying you didn't before. I don't know that, but it just seems like the world has, has changed quite a bit in, in the last four years or so. Yeah. I talk about anything and certainly with the players. Um, I have certain beliefs. Uh, I'm for certain causes. Um, you know, I, I'm about treating people right um, for the right reasons. Uh, I mean, you, you know, we're going to talk about, we talk about, racial issues. I'm, you know, I, I have very uh, distinct opinions based upon my upbringing. My upbringing was unique. You know, I was around a football coach and my dad recruited some tough areas and he recruited some men that had some come from some difficult backgrounds. And, you know, I don't take that stuff lightly. I think I'm, I'm really blessed to have a certain amount of experience dealing with some of these issues that our country's dealing with right now. And I, you know, I just, you just have to be careful right now <laughs> what you put out there because there's so many people waiting to rip you apart, but I have all kinds of uncomfortable conversations with our players because I think that, uh, 
at the bottom of every or at the at the 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 center of everything is trust, and they have to trust me, and they're going to trust me if I speak truthful to them about how I feel, and they know I'm supporting them. Coach, didn't mean to keep you this long. Um, My pleasure. All right. We'll Thanks see so you. much we'll for coming you. on, Jim. Thanks, okay, Jim. Stuart. See ya. I'll see you, Bruce. Take, take okay. care if you need anything. Just please reach out. You got it. Thanks Either again. Okay. All right, man. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people, and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. Introducing Royal Caribbean's newest ship, Icon of the Seas, the ultimate family vacation. The ultimate six slides, eight neighborhoods, zero compromise vacation. The ultimate never done that, can't wait to do it vacation. The ultimate chillin' by a different pool every day of the week vacation. This is the icon of vacations. Icon of the seas. Arriving in 2024. Book today. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry Bahamas. All right. Really appreciate Jim coming on. Uh, I thought some of that stuff, especially toward the end, was really, really interesting. Um, we're going to do the mailbag now. As always, you can send your questions to the Audible Pod at gmail.com. This first one's directed at Bruce. It's from Walter in LA. Love the pod. Thank you for, for providing a more cerebral approach to analyzing college football. We appreciate that. When will Bruce come around on the Buckeyes? Is there a reason why you pound the Buckeyes pod after pod? I feel like that Maryland game soured you on Ohio State, and it's been really hard for you to come back around on them. No. Uh, when will I come around, Walter? I will come around Saturday afternoon. That's when it will happen. They will play uh, a really, really good team right now with – a Heisman Trophy front runner uh, in Kenneth Walker III, a dynamic receiver, um, and a quarterback who's playing well, and they're well coached. If they beat that team, I think I will. Like I, I do think they're a top four caliber team. You and I talked about this about who we think is, you know, a really dangerous team to play. They're 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 really explosive on offense. Um, I think it's really just going to take that because what I've been stuck on for them, Stu, is, you know, they, they obviously lost to Oregon, but beyond that, it's been, I feel like they beat a Penn State team that's now a four-loss Penn State team. It wasn't like they blew them out. They beat them, but it wasn't like a wow game. They and did they, put up 59 the other day. Yeah, on Purdue. No, that's, no, know, that's, that's yeah. fine. But I'm saying it's not like, I mean, we're already mid into November. And we basically have two wins of note, right? You know, that's the part that I think I'm just kind of like, all right, I want to see it because um, this will show it, right? All I'm saying is, like, obviously, I think people know this. I grew up rooting for Ohio State. It's not like I have a bias against them or anything like that. It's, it's uh, I just want to see it against, the, against what I think is a very good team. And I think we'll, we'll find out much more this weekend. Fair enough? <laughs> Fair enough, but I do have a question for you. Mm. Is it enough for them just to win, or do you want them to? Because they are, and, and this frankly surprised me, a 19-point favorite against Michigan State. So clearly Vegas is in line with the committee on being skeptical of Michigan State. 
if and your questions about their defense so let's say kenneth walker runs for 200 and and gives them you know a, a take what does jaden reed what does jaden reed do because i think jaden reed is one of the most underrated players in the country do they i don't know he i'm go wild on the heisman guy let's just say kenneth walker runs for 200 and but ohio state wins uh 41 38 you sold then or no um sold to what point Meaning, like, sold that they can win a national title? Or yeah, sold, sold that they can win a national championship. I'd still be skeptical of the defense at that point. Like, this yeah. is a team with a, with a, with a big-time running back and a big-time receiver, right? So, you know, I, if they give up 38 to them and still win, I don't think there's any shame in that. Like, Michigan State's playing really well, and they have two, two, two really special players. So, win that game, yeah. I just... Still need to see more from them on defense, and maybe we'll see it this weekend. My personal feeling is that while Ohio State is certainly flawed, so is everybody else. And I actually think if you were to say, what's the one team that would have the best chance of beating Georgia in a national championship game, I think it's Ohio State, just because of all those weapons on offense. As as dominant as the Georgia defense has been, you're not going to hold that team to 17 points. Um, But that being said... Would it shock me if Michigan State won this week? Absolutely not. I think they're really good. Stu, this question is from David in Los Gatos. That's kind of near you, right? Oh, yeah. Los Gatos, right, right not far from here. Yes. Enjoyed, uh, we go out there sometimes. BYU's Kalani Satake's name keeps coming up in Bruce's Pac-12 coaching candidates articles. I get why any Pac-12 school would want him, but why would Kalani be interested in leaving BYU for the Pac-12? He has a really good thing going in Provo. School he has very close connections to, loved by the fan base. Winning team with depth, recruiting going great, Big 12 membership coming, and a seat that will stay ice cold way longer than at any other Pac-12 school. The money would be better in the Pac-12, but that is about it. Am I missing anything? I don't claim to know what's going on inside his head. Um, It is true, obviously, he has a lot of ties to BYU. Um, But it's also not like he spent his whole career there. He was at uh, Utah for... Almost a decade. um, A decade. He was at Oregon State for one season under Gary Anderson. Um, You know, I do think of all the points that David just made, the most pertinent one is that BYU now knows that it's going to be in a power conference soon. if, if they were still in limbo as an independent and a Pac-12, you know, and a good Pac-12 school comes calling, to me that's a more obvious choice. Um, but does he say, well, and, you know, in 2023, you know, we're going to be in the Big 12. I don't think that that's a step down from the Pac-12. And I know how to win here. Could be. Now, I do think, again, like not every Pac-12 job is created equal. He's being mentioned for all of them. I certainly think... If Washington could get him, that would be a really good hire. But he may not think that's a step up. But if it's USC, maybe a different story. Yeah, one other issue that uh, that David touched on, which I I think is a little bit significant, is the money is different right now. From what I understand, what he is paid at BYU. That's not to say they can't up his contract significantly, but there is probably a difference there that. We'll see how they respond to that part of it. Um, and then this one is from Nick C. Uh, obviously, Virginia Tech fired. Uh, it was, isn't when when the news came down on Tuesday 
that Virginia Tech had fired Justin Fuente. That news came down at least before I was awake. I know you get up really early. I don't get up that early. Uh, (laughs) I got a text about that at 4.12 our time, and I was not up at that time. Well, it was so early that it wasn't like the first thing on my feed when I woke up. It kind of scroll, scroll, scroll. Oh, really? That happened? And at first I was like, didn't he already get fired? <laughs> it just, he's, he's, it's, it's been so obvious for so long. It didn't even necessarily occur to me at first that he hadn't been fired yet. Anyway, hello, Stu and Bruce. Hope you guys are doing well. Would you agree that Mike Elko would be a great fit for the Virginia Tech head coaching position? I do not believe he has any sort of buyout. He's an excellent recruiter. He was an assistant at the University of Richmond, and he's familiar with the Northeast and Carolinas. From his playing career, he played at Penn and previous coaching stops, areas that Virginia Tech probably needs to target more in recruiting. Uh, He is a name that was in my search story uh, on Virginia Tech for a lot of the reasons that Nick points out. I mean, he's a guy who was on Dave Clawson's staff multiple times. Dave Clawson obviously was the head coach at Richmond and now at Wake Forest. Elko's been in the mix for a bunch of Power 5 jobs before. He was strongly considered at Kansas before they hired Lance Leipold uh, last offseason. But I think he's going to get a head coaching job, you know, if not this cycle, probably very soon because he's done a really good job as a defensive coordinator time and time again at a bunch of stops. I think he would be a good fit here. I think there's a bunch of schools where you could see him. Like if if David Cutcliffe does step down, which there's been some rumblings about, Mike Elko's name has come up as a possible option for Duke, among other places. So I could see it. I think they're going to look at some head coaches. Obviously, Clawson is one. I think Jamie Chadwell is another. I suspect, and I don't know what's going to happen with Billy Napier because his name is in a lot of searches at this point, but I think all those guys might be options. I think Marcus Freeman, who's the guy who replaced Mike Elko at... at, uh, Actually, he didn't replace Mike Elko. He replaced the guy who replaced Mike Elko at Notre Dame. But he's a very well-thought-of coordinator. This is going to be... This is a good job, as you alluded to, Stu. They almost fired him last year at Virginia Tech. And for much of the season, you kind of knew that this was not going to last much longer. Um, Who would... If you were Virginia Tech, being realistic, among the names I mentioned, who would you want? And we could throw Joe Moorhead's name in there as well. Yeah. Well... I think Mike Elko, you're right, is an outstanding coach who will be a head coach. I do think that if you believe in the the law of coaching hires that you go opposite the guy who just who who just you just fired. I I think Virginia Tech wants to hire an offensive coach. It's been a long time. When's the last time Virginia Tech had an offense that really excited you? Um, when probably when Michael Vick was there, but um, <laughs> maybe so. uh, I don't know the. Uh, but he, uh, hang on, let me stop you for a second so it doesn't get twisted. Fuente is an offensive guy. I, I think I'm, yeah, I know that. I think I meant, I just meant that they, they've sucked on offense. I know, let's try, can you yeah, reframe that so people that, yeah. don't think that, because the way it made it sound like you thought he was a defensive guy. Yeah. But, I mean, Virginia Tech's issue for years has been its offense. Uh, you know, it was known for defense with Bud Foster. But even going back to, I don't know, the last five or more years of Frank Beamer, they just have not had an exciting offense at all. And that's why I would I would pinpoint Jamie Chadwell. Uh, I think he would come in there with that system and, and excite the fan base and do very well. You have brought up in your 
coaching candidate articles that he has no Power 5 experience, nor does his staff, and that's a little bit reason for concern. I'd be less concerned about that at an ACC job like Virginia Tech than I would uh, at USC or Texas or a, job, or a place like that. Um, so I think he's number one on my list. It's interesting because we're talking about Elko, who was a, Dave, Dave Kloss, a longtime Dave Clausen assistant. Dave Clausen himself would make a lot of sense here. Who would you pick between those two guys, Clausen or Chadwell? Both have very unique offensive systems. They both, both very have successful. very unique offensive systems. Um, I mean, Clawson is way more experienced. So if that's if if that's something you know that you you value, um, then then probably give the edge to Clawson. Um, Chadwell is more the the up and comer. Um, I don't know. Maybe I'm getting too caught up in the Coastal Carolina. No, I'll well, be honest. I I get caught up. I in think that. I prefer Chadwell. I like Jamie Chadwell to me in two years has become really intriguing. And this is not like, I mean, you and I both think very highly of Dave Clawson set that aside. I felt like it was a miss. And, and look, I, I think the Josh Heupel hire so far has worked out better than with the way they're playing at Tennessee. But I was like, man, those schools missed on Jamie Chadwell. I think they overthought, overthought it. Um, and I'm not, you know, I'm not trying to run him out of you, out of here. If it's South Car- uh, Coastal Carolina fans, but I just, I think he would be a very splashy hire, especially at a place like that. I, I think he'd hit the ground running because he has such a good offensive mind, and he's got a good staff. So our interview went pretty long, so I think we've got to end the podcast here. But as always, send your emails to theaudiblepod at gmail.com. Next week is Thanksgiving. Um, so we will, yeah, we'll still be able to do it at our normal time, right? Wednesday mornings. Um, sure. You give you a little bit of something to listen to while you're, uh, trying to stay away from your family <laughs> or whatever, or, or whatever, or you're not interested in the NFL games on Thursday. So you want a little college football content. We'll have that for you. We'll see you next time. Mm-hmm.